Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to Strange Familiars. I'm your host, Timothy Renner. This is my co-host and wife, Allison. Hi, Tim. How are you doing? I'm fine. If you know of a story you think we should cover, something paranormal or something about strange history, or if you've had an experience yourself, if you've seen a cryptid, a ghost, a UFO, anything unusual or paranormal, and you want to tell your story on the podcast, you can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. I'd just like to say, too, that I have seen you grapple with the email lately, and you are so diligent in trying and trying and trying to get to as many people as possible, but at this point, it's kind of getting out of the realm of possibility for one person to handle in a day. I describe it as an avalanche. (laughs) It is an avalanche of email. I'm doing my best. I don't want anybody to get offended, like I'm Mm -hmm. ignoring them. I'm really not. I'm trying to get to everybody's message as quickly as I can. Please be patient with me. And I don't mind a reminder if some time's going by and we haven't had contact mm-hmm. and you're wondering if I've forgotten. I don't mind a reminder email. Although, please be patient, even with the reminder email. Because it's for <laughs> <it's> email. <laughs> yeah, it, things tend to get lost in just in a yeah. flood of email. They'll, they'll just come in and come in and come in and there's no organized way to handle it mm-hmm. that I've found. I'm sure somebody has a system for it, but I do not. It's called assistance. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to point out that I'm not complaining. I love doing every aspect of this show, but it is essentially a one-man show other than the voices 
you hear which aren't mine. Mm -hmm. So everything else from the production, the mixing, the editing, answering emails, usually the artwork, although I, I am getting some help on the artwork here and there. I think we're using Abby's artwork for this episode. Oh, that's great. But I, I generally like doing the artwork, though. Yeah, I think so. that's one of your favorite parts. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> but I don't always have time, and I, I absolutely appreciate the help. But it is essentially a, a one-man show, you know, as far as the Yeah, the, the basically technical. I'm just here for this portion and maybe to pick, pick out a photo of the week. <laughs> yeah, well, you help with research and stuff, yeah, but I, on the technical side of things. Yeah, I don't really know how to do any of that. Yeah, it's pretty much me. So, I, you know, I do my best to get to everybody. I just, like I said, I just don't want people to get upset and think I'm ignoring them. I'm really not. Mm -hmm. It just takes a while for me to get to everything. So please be patient with me. On tonight's show, I will be talking with Seth Breedlove from Small Town Monsters. He, of course, does the Small Town Monsters films and the On the Trail of documentaries, On the Trail of Bigfoot, and they are about to release On the Trail of UFOs. So we'll be talking with Seth in a little bit. Before that, though, we'll be talking with Taylor. We'll be getting an update. Taylor was on the show before. He had some stories about disappearing people. But since he was on Strange Familiars, he had some UFO experiences. Oh, no, the eye has turned. The eye has turned. So we'll be talking to Taylor about that. Before we get to Taylor, I just want to mention we are reordering the Strange Familiars logo T-shirts, the Awoken Tree logo, the tree with the eye. We'll be getting sizes small through 3XL. That is very inclusive because not everyone is the same size and it's frustrating when they all they have are like, we have two smalls and one medium left. And you're like, but well, I really wanted a t-shirt. Certain sizes sell out quickly. Mm -hmm. XLs sell out super quick. So I'm ordering heavy on the XLs. Believe it or not, the 3XLs sell out right away, I think, because a lot of people don't order 3XLs. So mm -hmm. people are, get excited about 3XLs and they order them right away. If there's a certain size you want and you want to reserve one, yeah, that's a good idea. You can email me, put t shirt in the subject line so I know it's about the t shirts and it'll be time sensitive. Strange Familiars Podcast at gmail.com. If you want something other than a plain t shirt, some people requested long sleeve t shirts, which we did. You can get long sleeve t shirts. I think we can order like the women's cut shirts mm -hmm. if somebody wants one of those, but I need to know in the next day or so because I okay. actually already put the order in, so I have to let the printer know if there are any changes to that. All right. Otherwise, if you want to reserve one, just go ahead and email, and we can set that up. There are some sizes in the Etsy shop right now. I will add all the sizes when we get them back in stock. All right, well, let's go ahead and talk to Taylor and hear his updates. All right, tonight we're talking with Taylor, who is returning to the show. And Taylor had come on before and told us some stories about disappearing people. But tonight we're going to talk about some UFO experiences. When did these start, Taylor? The first one was last July, and the most recent one was in December. Um, I should probably preface by saying I've been really interested in all of this stuff, and in UFOs especially, for several years. So I've been kind of keeping my eyes to the sky and hoping to see things. And for a very long time, really have never seen anything remarkable or strange. Part of it is just that I'm able to identify a lot of the normal stuff, you know, satellites, ultralights, planes, helicopters, kites, all that kind of stuff. Um, all the mundane stuff, I guess. But yeah, so the, the one in July, um, let's see, 
it was, I believe, July 12th uh, at about 10 o'clock at night. I was uh, delivering pizzas at the time for a little local pizza shop and sitting out back um, waiting for a new delivery to come through. Basically, when we were when we had downtime, we just kind of sat around and didn't do anything. And I was looking up at the sky and I saw what looked like a satellite. Uh, I've seen a few satellites, you know, throughout my life. They're they're pretty easy to spot. They're uh, constant, um, you know, singular light. Sometimes they flash, but they move at a pretty steady clip because they're you know orbiting the planet. Right, and a fairly prescribed path too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what they don't do is stop on a dime, uh, which is what this did. So that was this whole experience probably lasted. 20 to 30 seconds i saw what i thought was a satellite kind of moving across um you know from the south towards the north over minneapolis and it just all of a sudden stopped it, it, there was there was a fairly bright star i don't know if it was you know sirius or polaris or something but um it stopped pretty close to this really bright star and my my mind went well that's not normal but all right, we'll keep watching this. Uh, when it stopped, there was a, a big flash around it, like a, a, a flash of white light, you know, almost like a, a camera flash going off. So when I brought this up to people, some people speculated that it could be a satellite taking, you know, <laughs> stopping to take pictures. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't even know. Yeah. But yeah, so, so there's this bright flash. And then immediately after that, a like a stream of blue light that um seemed to be going from this bright star towards the satellite almost in like a teardrop shape that was the part that my mind had a really hard time processing um that lasted for maybe 10 seconds i watched the whole thing happen then there was another flash just like the first one and the thing took off it like it it, it started going in the same direction but then it curved and and started heading basically up, so probably, you know, uh, west or something like that, and it disappeared or I lost track of it or something. But that was when when the second flash happened and it sped off. That was about the moment my brain connected that this was the same object that had stopped and that it had taken off from the same position, which I know is impossible. So <laughs> right, you know. Now so that was a is this yeah. Go ahead. In or near Minneapolis proper. Uh, yeah, I was in Crystal at the time, and I'm pretty sure... So Crystal's a suburb maybe 5, 10 miles away from Minneapolis. So uh, how on the north. is light pollution there? It's not great. Um, within Crystal, even, there's there's a pretty decent amount of light pollution. So this is something you could see, you know, bright enough to see even though there was, a, you know, considerable light pollution. Right. So in the city, you know, I, I've lived in the suburbs or in the actual city proper for several years you know on a nice clear night you can see some stars it's not nearly as bright as if you're out in the country but it is um there are you know as long as there's no clouds it's pretty decent star coverage mm -hmm. yeah but it's it's worth noting that this was bright enough to see you know through whatever light pollution there was right yeah yeah i could yeah could definitely see this thing through normal city glow you know now, did you see this before or after you were on Strange Familiars last time? Mm, I think that was after, because I think that was, the last time I was on was 
oh gosh, a year and a half ago, something okay. like that. All right, I'm I'm not taking credit for it. I'm just noting it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was a it, it was an interesting experience that kind of blew my mind. I you know like I said, I'd always kind of wanted to have something like that happen, and so when I saw that, I I was thinking, well, you know, this is astonishing. This is, you know, kind of, this is my, my experience in a lot of ways. And I shared it with a few people. I, I work at a, a paranormal themed bookstore, I guess, like an occult bookstore. Oh, cool. And yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. I, and I work with a lot of open-minded people, but I brought this story up to them like the next day or the next couple of days and basically was met with criticism and um, mockery, which was kind of strange not it's not at all how i've experienced these people um dealing with things in the past I and mean, we talk about a lot of crazy stuff at the at the bookstore yeah. but um yeah that's, i don't know that's interesting yeah the uh second experience uh was more recent that was uh in december december 14th uh, i was leaving my dad's house from a, a christmas party we we do Christmas pretty much all year round, apparently. And, um, was heading towards a friend's house. Uh, it was probably eight o'clock at night and I was driving, this was out in the country. So I was, I was driving from Winstead, which is pretty much out in the sticks into Chanhassen. And, uh, so Chanhassen is where, uh, Prince is from. So I was, uh, at first I was driving through a town called St. Bonifacius, which is kind of interesting that night I drove through St. Bonnie and I thought, you know, I drive through this place a lot and there's, there's a lot of stuff here that could be indicative of like a strange small town. It's the whole town's one square mile. It's fairly rural. It is on the only stoplight on highway seven, uh, for many, many miles. Um, it's pretty much the last bastion of the suburbs. Um, it's not even really, considered a suburb it's pretty it's pretty rural compared to most of the suburbs of minneapolis and it is in the far bottom left corner of hennepin county which is uh where minneapolis and st paul are well minneapolis at least and i was driving through st bonnie and and just thinking about this and thinking about how strange it is and kind of making a mental note of i you know i should look into this because i was um very interested in the hellier documentary series at the time sure i drove through St. Bonnie, I drove uh, down to Highway 5 and started heading east. Uh, maybe about 10 minutes had passed, 5 10 minutes. And I'm looking out over the uh, east side. So this is probably around Eden Prairie or, or uh, eastern Chanhassen. And I see two orange lights in the sky on the uh, south side of the road, pretty high up. And they're, they're you know, kind of side by side. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, that's, you know, I don't, I don't know what that is. It's not, you know, maybe it's a helicopter, but they're orange. They're like, like a deep orange. And I was, you know, never really seen anything like that. Um, and then both of them shot downwards and disappeared. So it started with the left one and it shot down at sort of an angle. Um, basically they were coming together like a V almost. And the left one happened or the left one shot down first. And then the right one shot down and they both uh, vanished like super, super quickly. So that's the other experience. I then, <laughs> I then went home after the, I was going to a friend's house for a party. And then after that, I went home and started looking up information about St. Bonnie. For what it's worth, I, I found that 
uh, St. Bonnie as, as a phrase when plugged into Ren's NAEQ cipher comes out as 93, which I thought was kind of interesting. St. Bonnie is what, what the locals call St. Bonifacius. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Saint, Saint Bonifacius it's, itself has a different number. I think it's 147 or something like that. So folks who are familiar with like the Hellier stuff and the, the secret cipher stuff would, you know, know i guess what that means yeah this um, is uh the I completely- online generator to come up with the numeric codes uh using the secret site for the euphonauts he wrote yeah. a program mm-hmm. and and you can actually plug in different words and see what the values are i we did a whole show on the secret site for the euphonauts it was a patron show and then uh they of course uh you can dig into hellier and see them use the secret cipher a bit there too it's a very useful thing for uh, trying to figure out strange stuff with words. Yeah, but... it's super interesting, and I'm surprised at how many phrases come out which seem to have true meaning. And mm-hmm. as as someone who's not like I'm not a big Crowley guy, like I'm not, I just not a huge Crowley guy, but I'm consistently surprised by how interesting the results are when plugged into there and it makes me wonder if Crowley really did channel something very meaningful when he channeled that book yeah him or uh was it rose um his i think wife at the time Mm -hmm. yeah you know there's (sighs) that that book is really interesting um i've i've read several of Crowley's books you know he's I'm sure you know he's he was not a very good guy. He <laughs> his his writing is mostly all right. There's some some stuff that's kind of speaks to me more than some other things. Yeah. Um yeah. you know I, I've heard Ren talk on other podcasts about um how Liberal uh the book of the law is really like speaks to him. I don't get that with that book very much. Uh I do with like the book of uh lies. Mm-hmm. Um, and some stuff he wrote about meditation, but I've never really, I've, I've, I've read Liberal a few times and I've never really picked up much from it, um, that I thought was very meaningful, mm-hmm. but the, uh, cypher stuff is fascinating. It really is. It really, really is. And I've wondered, you know, I was kind of playing with the idea of using the same sort of structure and plugging in something like the Edda into them, something that, you know, I truly love and, and, and truly find uh, beauty in, uh, you know, another piece of writing, another piece of spiritual writing, in other words, yep. completely unrelated and seeing if similar results would happen. But uh, you'd have to sort of, you'd have to find that mathematical structure within the poem, I guess, first. So, you know, it's it's a whole thing. It's, it's not that easy, I think, to just plug well, another text in there. Well, I know it's possible. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Vanessa. She's uh, yeah. around on the discords and stuff. She's sure. created one with, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, some Sumerian text. I don't remember which text, but mm-hmm. um, plugging in. So, you know, kind of a, a proof of concept sort of thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd be really interested to see how that works. Because uh, obviously the 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 new way on English Kabbalah cipher, you know, coming from the numbers and the words in the book of the law is very specific to that book. Exactly. But who knows? I mean, you know, you're right there. There probably is a way to create, um, you know, honestly, it takes some fiddling probably, but I think you could do it. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you can randomize words, certainly. Do you apply that same cipher? Because the cipher was found... Boy, this is getting kind of deep in the weeds for this stuff. (laughs) The cipher was found by uh, Crowleyan disciples, and Crowley predicted that that there was a cipher within the the Book of the Law. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't found until the 1970s, I suppose, by by some of these uh, Crowleyan folks. I forget which group they were associated with. But in any case, so the cipher applies. So are you going to use the cipher found in the Book of the Law and apply that to these other texts, or do you look for another cipher within these texts, and whose translation do you use, and so forth? It becomes a sort of a you know a questionable assemblage you're doing, you know, where it's like, so if you're applying Crowley's cipher to these other texts, were they really meant for that, you know? Right. And uh, sometimes, I mean, you might find even if you do apply that same cipher, you might find that you still get meaningful results. And that seems to be part of the nature of a lot of this phenomena uh, is that you're kind of, you know, it's I I like the idea of like a a paranormal Rorschach test for a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. where you're you're kind of pulling out what is meaningful to you or what makes sense to you. um, You know, I think that's valid. I think that's very valid. Uh, but one one thing I wanted to mention about this whole St. Bonnie and all that stuff, I completely forgot about the UFO. I I wrote it down. Um, that night, I wrote down all the information. I, I try to journal every night and uh, completely forgot about it for maybe three days. And then it, it popped back into my head. And then I lost it again. And it was like I was struggling to kind of keep a foothold on this experience because it was taking this backseat to this weird journey. I was trying to take down this small town, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's I'm amazed at how this stuff works. I'm, I'm thankful that I'm starting to have experiences like this. And I'm a little bit worried about what that says about what, uh, <laughs> what my interest in the paranormal is doing to, uh, either my psyche or my life. <laughs> right. Well, that I was going to get around to that. We recently on a patron episode discussed the idea of once people see, and the example brought up was Bigfoot, but I, I said in my reply to the question, I think it applies to all these things. Once you see one and, uh, you start seeing others, do you mm-hmm. feel there's an aspect of that going on here? That's a good question. Um, considering both of the experiences were just lights, I think there might be a little bit of that going on. I'm hoping there's not because I'm hoping to see a variety of different things and not just, you know, like I feel like a lot of times if people start having certain types of experiences, those types of experiences pop up more and more yeah. as opposed to other types of experiences. Mm-hmm. I'm just interested in all of it personally. So yeah, yeah. You know, I hope to have a diverse set of experiences. But so, what is going on? And you don't have to be, you know, get super personal. But what's going on in your life right now? Are there any big changes or, or things like that happening for you? Oh man! Oh man! Uh, do you want me to go back to July, or do you want me to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start with that one. Okay, so. Uh, really briefly, two and a half years ago, I was working at a pharmaceutical company. I decided to get into ceremonial magic and lost my job, uh, kind of right before I decided to do this. 
Um, I took it as a sign to pursue it a little more and ended up finding a job at this paranormal bookstore, a different one actually. And uh, worked there for a couple of years. And then this past summer, um, I launched a Kickstarter for a tarot deck. So I, I was kind of taking on this, like a lot of stuff all at once. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of that, um, I ended up losing my job at that bookstore because of some kind of personal disagreements with um, some of the people who were dealing with uh, running the place. And uh, immediately, and this this is in May, uh, immediately found um, the same job at their biggest competitor kind of across town. So mm-hmm. <laughs> started working at, at Magus where I'm at now. Um, and that's, that's where I was when I had the first experience. Um, you know, at the time I was, I was working at Magus on the weekends and I was working at this pizza place, um, during the week to try to make some extra money, which is when I ended up finding this or having this experience, um, or seeing this light, I guess. Uh, and then very quickly after that, I stopped working at the pizza place. Um, I got a job at a sign place and then everything was fairly stagnant until this winter. So sometime in December, probably late December, probably a few weeks after this two orange lights Mm -hmm. thing happened, um, I kind of had this sort of epiphany where I I realized I needed to leave the sign industry um, for a lot of reasons. First being that it's it's mostly plastic manufacturing and it's a pretty toxic environment. Um, There's a lot of fumes going on and the the building i was in has almost no um ventilation at mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. but there was also some political drama and just some garbage so decided i needed to leave needed to leave there and uh started trying to find a new job a couple of weeks ago actually yeah two weeks ago yesterday i got a uh, reiki attunement a first level um reiki attunement uh, which has kind of shaken things up a little bit. The following week, I ended up kind of abruptly quitting my job for a variety of reasons and uh, found a new job, which is a little less structured. Uh, I'm, I'm now working from home kind of on my own time doing graphic design for a, a local game company that's a local game store that's opening up pretty soon. So long story short, yeah, I, I think my life has been um shaken up quite a bit mm-hmm. and you know i i guess i didn't think about it until just now but they these shakeups do seem to be at least around the same time or same seasons as as these experiences yeah that's very very interesting who could yeah. say but uh you know it does sort of check a box when it comes to this stuff right so uh do you want to talk about that tarot deck did it get funded oh yeah um yeah so it's called the sigil arcanum it's a sigil-based tarot, so basically taking all the symbols from uh, from the Toth tarot, from kind of my interpretation of uh, what each of the cards means, and I, <laughs> I started with kind of creating um, sigil-based flashcards mm-hmm. uh, for tarot, and then realized it would work as a deck, so I sort of turned it into one. Um, there's two versions of it. One is sort of rainbow colors on a black background, and the other one is... Um, glossy black UV on uh, matte black paper. Uh, so there's, you know, these kind of two very stark differences. I like it. I think it's it's pretty fun. It's uh, right now. So uh, all the colored decks are printed. Uh, half the black decks are printed, and 
I'm assembling them all by hand. Oh, fun. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's interesting punching out all, all the cards and then, uh, organizing them, doing quality control, putting them together and shipping them out. So I think I've shipped about a hundred so far. Um, and hopefully a lot more in the next coming weeks. Nice. Can people still get it if they want it? Yes. Uh, pre-orders are available, um, on sigilarcanum.com. That's S I G I L A R C A N U M.com. And I think they're, I think it's 40 bucks uh, plus shipping. Very cool. Nice. Yeah. Really, really cool. Well, Taylor, thanks for sharing your stories. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, Tim. Strange Familiars is brought to you by our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. You make this show possible. Without you, we couldn't do Strange Familiars at all. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to make Strange Familiars, please consider becoming a patron at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. You can, of course, find the links in the show notes. Our patrons get full extra episodes of Strange Familiars every month. We guarantee at least one. Often we do more than one. And there are other levels of support there as well. Starts at $3 where you get the extra shows and goes on up from there for everything from T-shirts to copies of my books CDs, even original artwork. You can check it all out at patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you do not like the idea of a monthly subscription like Patreon, you can go to the show notes under every episode and look for a paypal.me link where you can make a one-time donation. Everyone can help by sharing the show on social media, by liking and subscribing wherever you listen, whatever podcatcher you use, and leaving us those nice five-star reviews which helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So now we're going to talk to Seth Breedlove about 
on the trail of UFOs and about making the Small Town Monsters documentaries, and perhaps most importantly of all, about adventure hats. <laughs> Does your slim hat count as an adventure hat yet? I... We discussed that uh-huh. in the interview. Okay. I think you have to have a brimmed hat of some sort for to... it to be an adventure hat. What about like an old-timey colonial like three-cornered hat? Would that be a good adventure yes, hat? Yes, I think that would be an adventure hat because okay. it, it's a certain... It's a certain branding, as Seth puts it in in the interview. I I was very pleased with Seth. He was very, very open to talking about adventure hats. I feel like I need one now. You need an adventure hat. Uh I guess it depends on what kind of adventure you're having. (laughs) People have possibly seen me comment on adventure hats before. It's a a real thing in the world of cryptozoology. (laughs) I had said before that if I had one, I would go full wizard and have a, a peaked wizard hat, Gandalf style. But that's very impractical for going through the woods. Any uh-huh. kind of hat really is. That, it's sort of that made stands you can make like a head. bushwhacking tool out of it of some sort. <laughs> Chad would have it stuffed full of hatchets and yeah, he would have a whole survival point. pack in there. Yeah, but no, I think if I have an adventure hat, it is my beanie, perhaps. <laughs> or in cooler weather. Yeah, my keep my hair out of my face do rag. For the interview with Seth, we're joined by Serfiel and Adam from Conspiranormal. So hang on after that, and we talk a little bit about the Strange Realities Conference that Surf and Adam put on in Nashville. Tonight we're talking with Seth Breedlove. If you're not familiar with Seth, he's a filmmaker. He's done the Small Town Monsters series of films. Written, edited, and produced and directed shorts and features about a variety of topics. He's best known for the Small Town Monsters movies. And he's doing series like On the Trail of Bigfoot and On the Trail of UFOs as well now. Seth has appeared on numerous television and radio programs and has finally made his way to Strange Familiars. How are you doing tonight, Seth? Great, great. I'm excited to be here and to drag the hosts of the last show I was on with me. <laughs> yeah, so we have Adam and Surf from Normal who texted hey, what's up? to brag about there... interviewing Seth first. And I just said, well, come on and, and uh, come on to Strange Familiars then. And we'll just... I, f- I feel like there has to be a term for this. Like when you... <laughs> it's called swap casting. <laughs> is, that, is that it? Like when you go from like one show to another and you just kind of keep talking? <laughs> this might be a first. It's called kind of tired. <laughs> and I, I uh, have no clue what you guys covered already. So, do you know? I, I don't either. I was asleep for most of the show. So. <laughs> well, most we we talked a good deal about like um, how Seth got and started in filmmaking. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about that, and of course, the we boring, hit the, the boring we, we, stuff. We hit the U. We hit the UFO. We hit the UFO stuff. Then all that the material that we that we talked about there. So, I'm mean, I'm sure there will be some some cross over right. here. So it's it's not a big deal. How many small town monster films have you done now? Not including the series that we're going to talk about, but the the actual uh, you know documentary yeah, like films themselves. The features. Um, we just so Momo was the most recent release, and that came out in October or uh, September of 2019 that was our ninth that that wrapped up the uh, monsters of the midwest trilogy and right now we're filming our 10th which is uh the mothman legacy and then 
then uh, Bell Witch, which will come out in December, is going to be the the eleventh, which is insane. And this is the five year. 2020 is the official five year anniversary of Small Town Monsters because we started we started filming Minerva Monster in September of 2014, and um, the release of Minerva Monster was May of 2015. So we're celebrating 2020 as being the the five year anniversary so of 11 May- features in five years. Yeah, by the time it's all done, it'll be 11 feature films, and then you know the the three series as well. But I mean. The series, to me, anymore, are almost becoming more of an accomplishment just because, like, when it's over, I look back and I'm I'm stunned with the amount of travel, and then I'm stunned with the amount of content we're managing to pull out of what is really a, a rigorous, insane schedule. Like, the, the editing turnaround for On the Trail of UFOs, something like... Like three and a half months, three months to to turn around what is almost five hours long, you know. And I and I and and it's not. I wouldn't call this an easy edit either. With all the you know the quick cutting stuff is not an easy thing to do and takes a ton of time, which is something I didn't really realize when I said I was going to do quick cutting on the series. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a lot of it's a lot, but I mean we have a really good core group of people that are involved in this, you know, like Zach, Zach Palmasano, who's my director of photography, He's him and Jason Yudis, who's my sound designer or my sound uh, recordist. Those are two of my oldest friends. Like we grew up, we grew up together in Canton and used to, those guys aren't into UFOs or the paranormal or any of the stuff at all, but they will do anything I ask because we're like, like old friends. And, uh, you know, Adrian is, is amazing on the, producer side of things and she keeps us afloat financially and otherwise i would bankrupt us pretty much every single project um and then we have all the really good like artists and stuff that have gotten involved over the years so it's definitely a team effort one one person could not put out anywhere near heck one i could not single-handedly put out even like minerva monster on my own so and maybe just for sentimental sake, because it's the first one I saw, Minerva Monster, I think, remains my favorite that I've, that I've seen. Now, I haven't seen them all, but yeah. uh, I was That's primed nice to like to Chestnut Ridge because I'm a Pennsylvania guy. But I, mm-hmm. I'd still have to come down on Minerva Monster. I really, really, really enjoyed that one. I, I'm so I don't agree with you at all, but I <laughs> I, I, I do like uh, Chestnut Ridge because of the I still think there's a tightness to the editing in Chestnut Ridge. My Minerva bothers me because there's so much to the story we didn't get to Mm. so when i when i watch it today even though there are all the technical things that bother me as well like Uh, yeah i'm sure it's your first try at anything yeah yeah but the but the just the story i know i know what's there and and really like I love the fact that we were bold enough to do a documentary with no narration. And at the same time, when I watch it now, I'm like, if we had a narrator, the narrator could have explained this very important key piece of information in like two sentences. And you would have been able to get a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that's left out of that movie. There's just so much more to that case. There's like native American women riding on horseback that would disappear into the woods. There's, there's, there's caves that, that lined the the uh, the gravel quarry that would disappear at random. There's there's episodes of members of the Caton family family claiming to walk through the woods at night and get picked up by something and swung and thrown. And there's just there's a lot to that story that we never got to cover. 
uh, in that movie. But I'm, I, it is funny it, here in Ohio, especially that is the one that people love. Like we're going to do a five year anniversary screening at our, at our uh, mysteries and monsters event next month. And there, there'll be people from all over the area coming out to, to check out that, that particular episode of small town monsters. People love that movie. Yeah, and again, it might just be sort of like a, that's the first one I saw, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's kind of laid out the way, you know, it's the kind of way you do the the movies, which I really like, when you go to these small towns and you kind of do a survey of the town, and you kind of show the town itself and, and talk a little bit about that, and then go into the monster stories. So mm-hmm. it might might just be like, you know, that, that I really like that approach, and yeah. it just kind of hit home with me. Yeah, I, I, I do think, one thing I like about that, that movie and some people it it pushes the limits of what they'll allow but it spends a a boatload of time on setting up minerva Mm -hmm. and um you know like going forward we we pulled back on that somewhat because i do think there's a there's a limit to what someone coming into a movie expecting to watch a sasquatch documentary will will tolerate right um but I, I like the fact that we were so new to it that at the time we were like, well, who cares? We'll just spend 20 minutes on like, you know, the, yeah. the fact that this was a transportation hub. Oh, I, I mean, I just like found that, that completely charming. That's, yeah. Yeah. And I do love as a town. I love Minerva. I still like I still like just going out to Minerva as a as a town and kind of taking it in. There's some really good restaurants out there, too, which, as I told you, every every place I go i have some sort of restaurant connection <laughs> no i haven't seen momo i haven't seen that one yet i will check mm-hmm. it out but uh just out of curiosity did you get into all the weird stuff with that case yeah i would well the minerva uh it's funny because from minerva to momo you're basically looking at a five-year turnaround between those two projects mm-hmm. and and there are a lot of really big similarities between the two cases you've got a, f- a family in a house that butts up against a hill. You've got a monster that comes off the hill. You've got dead dogs. Um, you've got the shaggy sort of like classic 70s stubby legged Bigfoot look, you know, the the really shaggy, funky monster thing going on. Um, and you could not be more different in the storytelling because Minerva is is just as bare bones as it gets. And Momo is a weird like mashup of narrative horror and a documentary it's retelling the momo case as a really um sort of cheesy 70s drive-in movie and then the the documentary comes in and sort of sets the record straight about what actually happened but the we definitely got into the weird stuff (laughs) is the the easiest way yeah we got into a lot of it we got into the disembodied voices in the woods Mm -hmm. and uh and we got into the the lights uh in the trees and the lights in the sky and yeah we didn't we didn't shy away from any of that stuff nice which is my it sounds very familiar tim yeah yeah well that's that's where i live when in the weird stuff yeah you'll uh check it out then because you might momo's weird because as a creative project it it was like the it's my favorite i've never been that creatively fulfilled working on something Mm -hmm. and and everyone on the crew felt the same way and we put so much into it like literal blood sweat and tears uh making momo and and the movie came out and was a complete flop like the by far you know like just didn't make a dime and uh 
but we all still like we just had a whole talk about this on an episode of my podcast the other day like we did that's the one like that's probably my favorite stm film like making one of our movies that's probably my favorite experience was working on that one because we just put so much into it and i think it is a very unique way to tell a story um so unique that some people can't seem to wrap their head around it so i'm 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 always curious to hear people that that love the weird stuff like what their take on it is because it seems to be like people that grew up on 70s sasquatch documentaries like in search of and mysterious monsters or legend of boggy creek or creature from black lake they get it like they get it right out of the gate and they're all in Mm -hmm. and people who are used to small town monsters on the trail of Bigfoot are like, what the heck is this? Ah, yeah. Well, no, that's, that was me in search of legend of Boggy Creek. That mm-hmm. was, uh, the golden age of, of Bigfoot for me. And I was born in 1970 and I just grew up with that stuff. Yeah. I'd, I would really like to hear what you think of it then. Cause it's, it's really made for people like you. Like that is, that is the, the target audience is, is like, 70s bigfooters awesome and, yeah. uh, no, you know, maybe we maybe that target audience was too small which is why <laughs> which is why it uh it I, flopped no i would check it out as soon as possible now I'm, I'm super excited to see it so what made you move from doing the features or i mean you didn't move from it you're still doing the features but what made you add in doing the series the on the trail of series uh it was actually the it's it's kind of what we've been talking about minerva and Beast of Whitehall and Boggy Creek were all, um, especially Minerva and Whitehall, I guess, were, were all very, the crew was tiny. Um, with Whitehall, it was my dad holding a light reflector and Brandon holding a boom mic and me. And that was like the whole crew. But but as we got bigger, you know, that, that changed and it got to the point where, you know, Boggy Creek Monster had a convoy of like five cars driving around Falk at all times. And there was, you know, and we got to Mothman, the crew had expanded to like seven or eight people on any given shoot. And, you know, we were doing all these recreations and that had become a bigger part of it and all this. And I just, I missed the very bare bones aspect of small town monsters that we had started out with, with Minerva and Whitehall. Mm -hmm. And I was, and, and we, we had decided to do an episodic series called on the trail of champ. And it was supposed to be kind of a one-off. Um, and it was going to be directed by Alexander Petikov and Alexander was, was going to shoot on the trail of champ with a crew. And the day he was supposed to go film, he was supposed to have like three or four people with him. The day he was supposed to go film, everyone bailed on him and he ended up going and making on the trail of champ completely alone. And I watched it happen and I kept thinking I would kill to be a one man crew. Like I would, I would not that I don't, I, I adore like being with my crew, but like, I really loved watching him do all this on his own. And like, I thought the challenge seemed like so much fun. And so I was like, you know, when on the trail of champ came out, it didn't make any money, but it didn't matter. Cause it didn't cost anything. And I was like, if I could do the same thing with Bigfoot, do, do a one man crew, spend no money on it. I bet we could successfully, you know, have a, have a series and so i i decided we were going to do that so um on the trail of bigfoot was shot and almost entirely by me um there's maybe like five percent of it three to five percent were shot by other people especially obviously if i'm on camera and that was it was really just like wanting to get back to that bare bones kind of style now on the trail of ufos seems to be a blending of the films and the 
on the trail of Bigfoot or champ format. It's, it's got that like, you know, handheld vibe, but there's recreations and there's effects and all that kind of stuff. So it was sort of a marriage of the two styles. And, uh, I don't know. I think if we do a season two of on the trail of UFOs, we would probably go skew back more toward like on the trail of Bigfoot in terms of maybe pull back a little bit on the, on the amount of like recreations and things like that. Cause that, that is something I really love about on the trail of is that it, it sort of gets away from, from all the flashier stuff that are, that are part of the films. It's not about being, it's not about being cinematic with, on the trail of it's more about just being investigative and capturing things in the moment instead of planning anything out. I mean, even, even the scenes where we talk, you're just witnessing people talking, you know, we, we don't, before we start rolling cameras, there's, there's a scene that ends. Um, did you, did you get all the episodes? I did. Okay. The, in the, in like the final episode, there's, there's like a conversation that Shannon and I had in LA, um, by Griffith observatory. And, that that was just a conversation. Like I told Zach and Jason, like just start filming and we'll just figure this out as we go. And so we just talked until we figured it out. And then we, that was the conversation. So it's just us talking. And I know typically with like television or whatever, if they were doing that, this would all be mapped out in advance. And that might be smarter because it really like, <laughs> like we, we spent a lot of time talking and in the edit, I had to trim that down to like, two minutes from what was basically an almost hour long conversation. Um, but you, you know, like I, we try to basically, it was just trying to get back to that bare bones style that we started with. And and that also keep th- keeps things fun for us as filmmakers, because yeah. the, you know, the, the series we're we're doing something completely different and, and the movies we get back into that, cinematic mode it's it's funny like i'll coming out of on the trail of i was ready to do like the really intensive like light lighting setups for interviews and start planning out our recreations and how things are going to play out cinematically um and by the time i'm done shooting on the trail or by the time i'm done shooting mothman legacy i'll be ready to go back into filming you know something like on the trail of bigfoot right right well there's as artistically kind of flying without a net there's something very satisfying about that yeah I agree. Where you can just you just jump in and go and see what happens. That's I used to write out questions for strange familiars. I don't do that anymore. Yeah, I, I'll figure it out as I go along and uh, edit where I need to edit. I find it a lot more natural and a lot more satisfying in a way to do it that way. Yeah, it's it. Uh, th- there's something to be said for the pre-planned stuff for sure, and and obviously like what the approach we're taking with the films, um, it works for that. But yeah, for. My, for Personally, this is on the trail of is more more me mm-hmm. than than maybe something like um, Bray Road Beast. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it, I'm a I'm like tonally or stylistically, I'm I'm very hokey and uh, and corny and cheesy. And so like ter- ter- it, when it comes to our films, like Terror in the Skies is that's all me because it's it's a lot of like really sappy music and like you know, the beautiful landscapes and stuff. That's, that's more me. I don't do the, I'm, I'm weirdly not a huge scary scene guy. Like I, I have a hard time sort of wrapping my head around that kind of stuff. Well, recreating stuff like that too, always, you know, there's issues with it. Mm-hmm. I think, where you, yeah, you're never going to capture the intensity yeah. Of something that happened, you know, that's something that really happened, you know. 
Yeah. You're trying to recreate it and, and so forth. So when you're doing these series, like how do you approach, like, you don't know, I, you know, I saw you caught a couple things in on the trail of UFOs or a couple, mm-hmm. a couple things you caught, but you don't know. You, there's no guarantee that you're going to oh, yeah. ever get anything when you go out there. Yeah. And, and Shannon says, I think it's in episode eight. It might be seven. She, she talks about the futility of it. Mm-hmm. Like even tr- even thinking you're going to go out and capture something like that was something that stood out to me that was so different between Bigfoot and, and UFOs. And some people would think they're both, you know, equally futile, but you can go into, I can go into any woods and, and at least convince myself that maybe I'll encounter something, um, you know, like, cause it's a forest and, and maybe there's a Bigfoot hiding here, but you know, like what are the odds you're going to go out with a camera and just happen to capture something in the sky and know for a fact that it isn't, you know, it, it's some unidentifiable object. Right. Um, we, we did have, you know, we saw that thing in Sedona, um, come over the butte and then go down behind the butte. But, you know, it could have been, it could have been something. It could have mm-hmm. been a helicopter for all we know. Um, and then we, um, Alexander saw something in the White Mountains, um, which you see at the beginning of episode eight. And that's about it. Like, that's, that's all we captured in almost 30 days of filming, you know, in locations that are supposedly highly active. I mean, I've been on the Chestnut Ridge. numerous times for for probably weeks by now probably a few weeks i mean just this past year alone i was there five or six nights and i've never experienced anything really on the chestnut ridge Mm -hmm. um not not that i could point to um you know it was really interesting about the chestnut ridge too was we were you see us at this location with this elderly woman who had called stan gordon Right, right out, right out, and and we had to give the location as being like right outside of Kecksburg. It's it's literally in Kecksburg. Like you'll, it, it's there. It's in Kecksburg. She was telling him like oh, I'm seeing all this weird stuff, you know, in the skies over the airport, and uh, we thought, well, that's that could be a red flag. It's over the airport, and we got to her house, and sure enough, like she's just she's seeing planes like taking off, <laughs> taking off from the airport, and uh. You know that was like a typical day on the on the Chestnut Ridge. All these stories. Stan's got hours and hours of stories for you about like sightings and stuff. But he's never experienced anything in like fifty years of researching that area. And with all the time I've been there, which is nothing compared to obviously all the time he spent there, I've never experienced anything either. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Stan's experienced the sort of echoes of things. If you get him talking enough, like mm-hmm. where he's showed up places and there's been. You know, for instance, the you know a Bigfoot sighting and the, the smell remains, or yeah. the dogs are still afraid. It's like, so it's uh, kind of like I he's heard him a the baby cry. Like, well, you have experienced something. It just he's heard the baby cry too. Yeah, 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 exactly. But oh my gosh, I love Stan. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's he is. I told him the other day he's he's a part of the family, and he really is. Like um, last year, the the day that we we shot his interview for on the trail of Bigfoot. Um, it's it's weird to think of that as only being a year ago because we've already done another project with him following that. But we were uh, him him and I and uh, <clears throat> my friend Mark Matsky ended up just driving around with Stan for like four and a half hours around the ridge for like no real reason, mm-hmm. just kind of like just just four dudes in a car driving around. <laughs> but I told him like that day I was like, yeah, you're you witness Stan witnesses all are crazy. 
Cause like we're really whacked out once we're on like two, two or three days of these shoots and he's been there for all of it. And he just like totally rolls with it, rolls with, with the, all the profanity and nonsense flying around. <laughs> so you did eight episodes of on the trail of UFOs. It's eight episodes of 200 and it's, it's, it's well over four and a half hours. It's like four hours and 40 minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the biggest, like by far the biggest, longest project we've ever attempted i mean biggest in every way too because the the shoot itself is was close to 30 days um you know our first the first shoot was nevada and arizona and that ran about five days and then there was the massive east coast trip that started in florida and then ended in in new hampshire and that trip alone shannon was with us for 14 days so that was a two 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 week trip for her that she was with us and it was funny too because that was the florida part of that east coast leg of the trip was tacked on to the end of a family vacation so like shannon flew into orlando because i was in orlando with my wife and son and my in-laws and (laughs) shannon flew in and then drove back to ohio with us and on the way we like you know, we shot interviews in Orlando with Mark Muncy, and then we drove up to Marion, North Carolina, and shot uh, with Micah Hanks, the the Brown Mountain Light stuff, and then mm-hmm. we came home. So we, I mean, it, and then there was the there was the uh, the four days in Los Angeles. So it was a really, you know, and then there's little trips in between all of that as well. So it was it was a really intense long shoot um, for us. We're just not used to that sort of stuff even on the trail of bigfoot was so spread out and on the trail of bigfoot i spent hardly any money on because i was able to to tack all the trips onto the back of like events i was already doing right so i was i was out in san francisco for an event and i just like rented a car and drove up into the the woods near the muir woods and shot up there and you know things like that like we we went for a couple extra days out to Washington and Oregon when we were doing the international Bigfoot conference. And, and this was nothing like that. This was like purposeful trips to, to do the shooting. And we ended up with, um, we ended up with hours and hours of interviews that don't get used in the series because of how much, I mean, we shot 29 interviews and I think the average inter- interview length had to have been an hour and a half, which for us is insane. Like there were interviews, David Weatherly's was three hours, three, three hours, 20 minutes, something like that. Alejandro's was, um, over two hours. I think the bulk of the interviews ran, ran well over an hour, which is really crazy for us to, um, we, we don't usually spend that much time on interviews. There's a certain way you kind of laid out the series, you know, you yeah. know the, the, like different topics. Did you know that going into it? I had the, I had the, I had the topics laid out. So I had a, an episode and I did the same thing with on the trail of Bigfoot. I, all I had was an episode layout. Um, and then I would ask people questions based on those episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some people, you know, who I knew I, I, would only be using them in like one or two episodes. And then there were people who I, I knew going into it. I want this person to sort of be throughout the series. So like David Weatherly got a lot of questions. Um, Alejandro got a lot. Greg Bishop got a lot at Linda Zimmerman was, was like a revelation because I, I had bought, I've always been really interested in the Hudson Valley activity because I love the Hudson Valley. And, um, 
the fact that there was so much UFO activity up there and she had covered so much of it was really interesting to me. So I, I knew she was going to be involved in those Hudson Valley episodes, but she ended up being in almost every episode of the series. And um, that was just because she had so much to add to every single topic. Like I realized really early on, she's going to add a lot to, you know, airships and black triangles and craft descriptions. And she, she had a little bit of, a little bit to say about everything. So there were, there were, there were people that surprised me and we ended up including more. And then, you know, there were witnesses. I mean, it's funny, like a lot of the topics, a lot of what gets discussed comes back up multiple times. So like the airships keep coming up, you know, like I, at least a couple, two or three more times throughout after that second episode where they're focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I could do a much better job at pre-production that's that's probably like my biggest flaw that i see right now as a as a filmmaker is i i'm ter- it's it's kind of like what we were just talking about a minute ago i'm terrible about planning i tend to just like jump in and um and with on the trail of it's it works but it could work better if i really like go if if going into it i had a much more clear vision of what each episode is going to be like but i can't tell you how difficult that is especially on something as big as this you know like when you're when you're putting it all together you'll you find the edit or you find the story in in the edit i think um and and really i always say like the actual directing takes takes place in the edit rather than you know while you're actually making the movie it's very different from like a narrative film Cause like we, I experienced what it's like to make a narrative film when we were making Momo, you know, since like 50% of the movies a narrative movie and that you're directing in the moment, you know, like you're directing the actors, you're kind of steering where the camera's going, all that kind of stuff with, with a documentary, the directing is in, is in the actual edit. So that's why I'm always confused. I hear about directors like documentary directors that, that don't edit their own thing and they're not even in the editing room. And I'm like, well, what do you do then? (laughs) It's like, it's like, that's something I, I can't even wrap my brain around how a director wouldn't, wouldn't actually be present for the editing of a, of a movie he's directing. No, I find that in like in writing, like as I'm writing a book or if I'm writing a chapter for, Mm -hmm. you know, the Bigfoot book for sometimes I don't know the story necessarily going into the chapter. And I, I find the story as I'm writing often. Yeah. That's that's how I work in general. Mm-hmm. Like when I when I wrote for the newspaper, um, th- they always wanted an outline before they would okay a story that wasn't like set in stone, and I, and I would make it up, and then my final story would be nothing like what I gave them originally because I'm not gonna I, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I've n- I've never been able to function that way. It's funny because my version of film making is identical to how I work as a writer. And I don't think that's typical. Like, I don't think this is how typically filmmakers are supposed to work. I don't think filmmakers are supposed to function the way I do. Cause it really is like, um, I'll do, I'll do an entire, I'll edit an entire episode of on the trail of, and then scrap it. Um, you know, like I, I, there, there's multiple versions of episode one of on the trail of UFOs. Um, every episode of on the trail of Bigfoot went through multiple reedits except for episode six. And, and I would, I would literally sit down and cut the entire episode, 
watch it back and be like, I hate this. Like, this isn't what I, <laughs> this is what I want. And then I'd re I'd have to re edit the whole episode. Right. But so I you, can't. Sorry. You basically, what? you basically direct and edit the way that you write. Yeah. Essentially. I, what you saying? Yeah. yeah. It's identical. It's, it's the exact same way I, I write like for the, for the newspaper. Um, the story, all, all sort of comes together in the edit for me. Like even to to hmm. the point where I knew I knew what the subject of each episode of On the Trail of UFOs was. I didn't know how the story was going to be told. Like I didn't know episode seven. I had a lot of trouble with the abduction episode. Um, I knew I wanted Betty and Barney Hill in it, but I didn't want it to be this like. Sorry, I'm trying to let my dog up on the couch. She's having trouble because she's in a cast. Um, we're we're pro animal sound on Strange Familiars. You can often hear my rabbit in the background. <laughs> um, that's a yeah. story in and of itself. The dog, the cast, and the dog. Yes, must and, be. But yeah, with episode seven, I I was having trouble because I knew I wanted Betty and Barney Hill in it, but I didn't want it to be this like, ooh, the spooky Betty and Barney Hill episode. You know, where everyone that's already heard the Betty and Barney Hill story a hundred times is going to have to hear the whole thing again. I I also wanted it to be like a really um, advent like adventurous episode. Like I wanted it to have the SDM crew doing their thing and like going up the hills and like hiking and that stuff because that was our experience. And I didn't know how to do any of that, like how to really have this episode laid out. And what I ended up doing is I was, I would like sit down, I'd put together a scene and then I would have to get up and I had this whiteboard I bought before I started working on this. Cause I knew this was going to happen with this series. I bought this like dry erase board and I would write an arrow from one story point to the next. And it, it had, to, you know, like you can tell looking at that if, if it's going to make sense, but it was almost like I had to visualize it to be, to be able to make sure that it was going to, you know, I'd have to write it out to make sure that I, I knew those story points were going to flow together and make sense. Cause otherwise I found I would like sit down and just start editing things together. And then when I would watch them back, nothing made any sense. Like the scenes just weren't, they weren't fitting together. And so this stupid dry erase board ended up constantly. I mean, I was constantly writing story points with an arrow to the next story point. And that's how I used to, that's more of a writing thing rather, rather than a filmmaking thing. But I, I'm finding that like with, with editing, especially on the trail of stuff that it, it is eerily similar to writing. I don't know why it's so different from editing the films, but it's, it's a totally different process for me. Yeah, well, I would think with the films, like you, just going into it, just because it's a one singular thing, you just you just know more what the story is going into. Mm -hmm. Where an episodic thing like this, like we were saying, you don't know that you're going to find anything on your own when you go out there. You know, that's yeah, that's the risk in doing this stuff. You're just you're just going out and you know hoping you'll catch something, but you don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's. It, it, it's also like the movies are a lot easier to edit because there's so much coverage done for me by the, the effects people and, and the artists. Um, it's actually, it became one of my pet peeves about some of the, not Momo, but, but definitely like terror in the skies. Um, my biggest pet peeve about that movie, that, that movie would probably be my favorite SDM movie. Um, if not for two things, one is that we didn't, we lost two two of our eyewitnesses the week we were supposed to film. We would have had four eyewitnesses in that movie, which would have been great. We ended up with only two, which I, I'm not crazy about. 
Um, and the other thing is we really relied, we had to rely far too heavily on the animation. And so rather than getting to film, you know, these recreations and steer the look of the, of the recreations, we ended up relying on Chris Scalf to do these animations and you, Chris is great. He does amazing work. And this is in no way a commentary on his animation. It's just at when I, when I watch the movie back, I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, this is just you get these animated sequences where they don't look anything like what the one that came before it, you know. And and if I had it all to do over again, that movie would have a very unified look. All uh, the thing I hear most consistently about that movie is that people really love the opening, which it it opens with the scene with this little boy. He goes out to his his barn he's got like a little headquarters his little hideout in his in this barn and then he goes out in the in this field and he sees a thunderbird and that's but it's all told you know it's really cinematically told and um if i had to do over again i would have shot the whole thing that way because instead i ended up you know relying really heavily on that animation and lost i guess visually what what would have helped distinguish that movie from some of our others but you spend so much time that is the thing about the movies is they just you you don't necessarily have to worry about tying all that b-roll and and all that stuff together like you do with on the trail of on the trail of is it almost seems like it should be the opposite like the effects heavy movies should be the harder to edit but with the with the on the trail of you're just trying to cover stuff with like scenery b-roll and illustrations and that's all you've got and you've got to keep it interesting yeah yeah definitely. Is, i'm sorry if this is incredibly boring i can I, never tell if like when i start rambling about this if people no, are I'm, just I'm, immediately tuning out i'm super interested in the sort of process as well because well it, you know it's similar to me the process of of creating a book or creating you know a music album or anything else i'm very very interested in the process behind it and hopefully uh, the listeners are as well but on the trail of ufos that's upcoming right that hasn't released yet. yeah it comes out um the plan is march 20th it comes out on on uh on like amazon and vimeo on demand blu-ray and dvd through smalltownmonsters.com that's the that's the plan there there's a chance that it could it could something else could happen, and it could could get a much wider release. We're we're kind of negotiating something. Mm-hmm. And all the episodes drop at the same time. Um. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I. Yeah. I keep getting asked that. Is it like? What do you guys think about that idea? I I I kind of feel like people are going to want to binge something like this. But yeah. And, and and I'm and I'm always worried that they'll lose interest. But I've been asked by a number of people why I'm not putting out episodes one by one. Well, there's, I mean, there's a couple of different models, you know, like Amazon Prime and Netflix, they do everything all at once. And then Hulu does it like, you know, once every week. It is cool to get that anticipation and like feedback from the audience, everyone waiting for the next one, things like that. But also you want to make it as pro, you know, you want it to be binge worthy. So I don't know. Sometimes when it's all at once, it's almost like overwhelming, I think. Yeah, I agree. And Sometimes, like if if you if you feed it out like one at a time, yeah, you can build that anticipation. I mean, certainly, I think people are used to it both ways, and they're they're yeah. accepting of it either way, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, you know, it's you can always just say, "I'm just going to watch one episode at a time." There's yeah. the model. There's a the model too of putting maybe like two episodes out 
mm-hmm. begin with, and then you do the next the next ones weekly. That's another that's another model that's been used too. Interesting. I think I think they're really just like for all of everybody just loves to bin shows now though too more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the safest way to go at this point. It's been weirdly freeing, like really <laughs> releasing an episodic series, and, and it's funny because like the movies is are, are what we're kind of known by, but the. I keep saying, I think on the trail of is the future for us. Like I, what I would, the reason is what I would like to do is to be able to focus more time on the films. So instead of, you know, you got a white knuckle through, through like two productions a year. And, and we do that to stay alive. You know, like we're, we're completely independent production company and, and everything is either self-funded or funded through Kickstarter. And so just to stay alive, you, you have to kind of constantly be turning out these these projects. And at the same time, you don't ever want it to be like a, like you're just churning out product. You know, I don't want to be like a fast food franchise of like paranormal yeah you don't want your quality you don't want your quality to suffer because of quantity. Right. And you want to put a lot of effort and 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 into and passion into each project so you got to be real careful when you're saying like like this year we're doing four projects we we're releasing on the trail of ufos in a couple weeks and then we're going to release um and then we're going to make and release on the trail of the lake michigan mothman then we're going to do the mothman legacy and then we're going to do the the mark of the bell witch like all of those projects as of right now are supposed to be edited by me which is doable as insane as that might sound that's totally doable for us but it's it's like one of those things where you you have to make sure that just just because you're doing all that and just because it's it's needed in order to stay, you know, functioning as a company, you got to make sure that you're putting an equal amount of effort and 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 passion into every single one of these projects and that you're doing something different, you know, so that they aren't just this is it, the easiest thing would be if we just simply cranked out production after production that sort of mirrored the one before it, right? Like in approach. And we try not to do that. Like we're always trying to do something different storytelling wise as we go. So what we'd like to do, what I would like to do is get to the point where on the trail of heck yeah, like let's do 24 episodes a year, but let's do one movie. And, and that way we we're putting like a ton of effort into that one movie, you know, that that's, that's the big production for the year. So that's what I would like. That's where I would like to get, the company as of right now. So in doing all this, or even before you started doing the films, what's the weirdest thing you've ever experienced? Um, that's a good question. The weird, there's two. Can I tell two? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the one that kind of feeds into like the mystery lights and UFO thing, my dad and I were, um, this was all the way back in like 2000, I want to say this would have been probably like 2012, 2013. Um, I think it was 2012 because I think I still lived in Canton. But anyway, my dad and I were were um, we decided we were going to get permission to go back to this. It's called the Zor Arboretum, and 
It's like a wetlands. There's a lake. It's actually where we filmed the posse sequence for Momo. So it's where like Cliff Berrickman and Bobo and all these guys are um, that we shot for the for the posse sequence. Um, it's the same location where this happened. My dad were my dad and I were back there, and we just went back there because my dad has seen some really strange stuff behind their house over the last few years. Their house sits on a right behind their house is the little patch of woods and then beyond their house is or beyond the uh, patch of woods is this huge field and then the Tuscarawas River and then just miles of forest all the way down to Salt Fork. So and Salt Fork I, obviously is like Bigfoot Mecca mm-hmm. supposedly. Um so so we we were down here at this lake. It's kind of like behind their my parents' house and um it was late. It was like 11 o'clock at night and we're we're just kind of hanging out and I saw this light in the in the forest about i'm estimating like half mile away quarter mile away half mile away something like that it's it's across this valley across the river over in the forest way far away but it's a big light that i'm seeing and i see it very slowly this took place over the course of like a minute this thing rises up out of the forest and my memory here is mistaken or or I, I can't recall exactly i don't remember if i saw this entire thing come all the way up out of the woods i know i saw the top of it it was a round you know it was it was a spherical object that came up out of the forest it was sort of an amber color moved up into the sky sat there for a second you know like i had time to call my dad over and point it out to him and then it really slowly went back down into the woods and this thing was far away i mean we're i know this area like the back of my hand where i was seeing was actually saint peter's church road area which is if 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 anyone's seen or if you guys have seen on the trail of bigfoot saint saint peter's church road is this area right outside of uh bolivar where i grew up and in the 70s there was a rash of bigfoot sightings there and you know there were hunters were finding or landowners were finding deer like ripped in half and stuffed up in trees and things like that and this would have been in that exact same area. So I know it was, you know, half mile away from where we were seeing. And um, so it had to have been huge, whatever this thing was. My first thought was that I was seeing the moon coming up behind the trees. And then I realized, like, I looked up to my left and I was like, oh, the moon's like right there. So I could I could see the moon. Um, so it wasn't that. So this was just a massive amber colored round something from the way far away that had to have been really good sized. Uh, so that's that's one thing, um, and then the other thing was pretty much everything that happened to me when I was in Area X last year in the Watchita Valley uh, in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I, have any of you guys seen on the trail of Bigfoot? I've not. Okay, it's um, Area X is this place where this group called the North American Wood Ape Conservancy goes every year for like they're they're basically in there for like six straight months. Mm-hmm. And they go in in shifts, and they're in there to kill a Bigfoot so they can prove they exist. And in in the 20 years that they've been going into this place, they have experienced stuff that legitimately kept me invested in Bigfoot. Because the the people in the group that I know aren't crazy, and, and they're, there's biologists, there's very well-educated people in this group. I've talked to them, and, and the stories they tell are so out there like what they're i mean so the the amount of activity they're cataloging is so out there that it's 
it really made me believe there had to be something to the subject. So last year I got permission to go in with them. Was it last year? No, it wasn't last year. It would have been 2018. So 2018, I went in there uh, with my friend Adam Dugan and we camped for two nights. Um, Area X sits nine miles off of any paved road, but it's a two and a half hour drive to get back this nine miles because the road is so bad. It's like an old logging road, but it goes down this it goes straight down this mountain and it's basically at some point just becomes like you're driving down a creek bed. So it's, it's insane. I talked to a, a British special forces operative who's a member of the group. And he told me the only other road he's been on that is equally as bad was in the Congo. <laughs> um, so the, this road's nuts, like just getting down there is insane and it took two and a half hours. Um, Everything in there wants to kill you, and I'm like a, I'm not a city boy, but I'm I'm from Ohio, and in Ohio there's hardly anything that wants to kill you, other than like, you know, who knows, hoodlums and and <laughs> other teenagers, things like that. Um, so like we 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 drove down into this valley, and we were in there for two nights, and in in like two days we experienced um, all sorts of like noises. Um, one of the guys said he sighted a, a Bigfoot in on his on his scope of his hunting rifle. Didn't shoot it, but it's you know like we we have all this on camera. It's episode five. If you guys want to check it out, it's on episode five on the trail of Bigfoot, which is free on YouTube or um, or Amazon. So you don't have to pay for it or whatever. Just check it out. It's it's nice. worth seeing. Um, I captured some eye shine at night that was insane. Uh, it was bright green eye shine up a, up a hill behind the cabin. There was no light in here, which made it incredibly creepy. Um, but it was, it was bright, bright green, um, eye shine kind of like, uh, I don't know what to compare it to. It's just really, I said self-luminescent and a lot of people in the group got upset that I said that because it indicated some sort of paranormal phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was what I saw, and I captured it on camera. And it's pretty crazy to see because I didn't know I'd captured it until I got home. <laughs> I kind of forgot I had it. Um, so we, we captured that. And then that same night, um, I had the worst migraine headache. I had a, a pretty much a um, nonstop migraine headache for two days while I was in there. And I had my migraine prescription. I was taking it. It wasn't doing anything. So the um, the second night or last night in there, I had to go to bed. It was like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. I just started to fall asleep and all of a sudden there was a loud um, I mean I don't know what to, it sounded like a gunshot so something took a rock and threw it onto the metal roof of this outbuilding mm. keep it keep in mind we're two and a half hours from any paved road and we're on private property that is owned by a massive um, I can't it's like a massive uh land protection i can't say who it is because people look up the location apparently this group really doesn't want people finding this place but there's no one anywhere nearby is is basically what i'm saying other than the people that we're in there with and i know all the all the people that we we're in there with we we're actually in there with kathy strain bob strain um daryl collier and brian brown brian used to do the old bigfoot show i don't know if any of you guys ever listened to that show but um we're in there with them and um so this, this, there's this loud smash, and immediately after it is what sounded like uh, – I, I call it like an Apache war whoop from a John Wayne movie. 
Hmm. Like it's like the searchers or something. There's just this like whoop, and then whatever it was immediately turned into laughter, um, like really wild animal laughter. And the closest thing I've found to what we heard was a gibbon, a gibbon monkey laughing, um, <laughs> but like on a on an insane scale. I mean, you were hearing it like it was coming from human lungs. And um, are there any recordings of this? Did anybody get anything? So there are not. Uh, the main re- every other night that we were the other night that I was in there, I actually would turn on my voice recorder on my phone and just go to bed. And that night, my migraine was killing me to such an extent, I laid down and just tried to pass out. And I was so mad at myself. To, and, and I turned on the recorder for the rest of the night. There were no other noises that night. And we left the next morning. But, um, you know, that was enough to move me from like maybe 20, 30% that these things existed to like 80, which is where I am today. It's like, um, it's like it knew that you weren't recording. Yeah. And then, and then the, I guess the next night, I actually found about, out about this the next day, Brian texted me while it was going on. Daryl was rock clacking with something down the creek. So he was like clacking these rocks together and something down the creek was like clacking them back. And they were going back and forth and that they do have audio of. They recorded that. So there's, it was just a crazy, like we heard so much stuff in there in like two days and experienced so much stuff that it it really like got me sort of fully invested in the Bigfoot subject again. Because the longer I get, you get frustrated. You go through like starts and stops, and your interest wanes, and your I hate the word belief, but your belief kind of goes away, mm-hmm. and then it and then it comes back. You know, like sort of based on maybe experiences you hear from people, or like maybe something you experience. Well, I had never experienced anything, so like this is, you know, for me it was like a a huge deal because in in two days we experienced so much stuff and so so much of it defied my typical skeptical response because i i tend to be really skeptical when it when when it comes to me you know like things i'm experiencing i I tend to write i I tend to be able to write a lot of things off and explain it Mm -hmm. and so much of what happened to us in those two days i could not explain like the eye shine video I've been told is some of the coolest, you know, like quote unquote Bigfoot stuff they've seen, people have seen. But I think some of that is because of my story. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you just saw the video, you'd be like, okay, it's, it could be anything. It literally could be anything, you know, just looking at it. But if you do know that, I mean, context is everything with it because it's what we, what we experienced was crazy. Like we saw this, this eye shine watched us for a long time. And it was pitch black. They don't do they don't light a fire or anything at night. And you're down in a valley in what is essentially an inland rainforest. Um, there's they get more rainfall in this area than other parts of the same area. Like it's it's like you're in an in a rainforest. And um and we're sitting there at night and we were all everyone was talking. I wasn't. I was like sitting there watching the hill. And I was watching the hill because I kept catching these two lights, like two. I I didn't. What I thought I was seeing was because it, it's a steep hill. I thought I was actually seeing star starlight through the leaf canopy. You know, like maybe there were two leaves or two stars up above. And I was like, and then so I asked Brian. I was like, Brian, like come over here. And he comes over and I was like, show me where the hill 
ends, like where where the top of the hill would be, where the, where I can see sky. And he like points way way above where I'm looking. I'm looking like halfway down. And I was like, okay, well, there's like eyes looking at us. <laughs> and he's like, where are you talking? And I took his head, you know, and I like turned it, and I pointed pointed straight ahead because it's pitch black, you can't see anything. And he, as soon as I did that, he said, oh yeah, I see it. Hmm. And we're standing there. It wasn't Brian. This was actually Daryl. So I, I tell Daryl, you know, like it's right there. And at the second I did that, for whatever reason, Brian jumped up and turned his flashlight on. And as soon as he turned his flashlight on, we watched these eyes move across the hill at an insane speed while still looking at us. So we we watched them move sideways across this densely wooded hill no noise just something move you know like quick mm-hmm. as can be across this hill while still while never breaking eye contact with us looking looking at us did these eyes do they look almost like leds um you know what it, i i can't really say because the distance they were still they were still a pretty good distance away from us and i don't think they were that bright because it took me about a minute of staring at them before I could really focus and realize what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. So I would say no. Um, I've heard that before, though, for sure. Like the LED thing. Like I've heard people say they saw this. This comes up a lot when people say they see red red eye shine. Is that it looked like the exit light in like a movie theater? I hear that a lot. And and I don't even think I could say it was that bright. It was just it was bright enough that it was noticeable. And and once I focused, once once I could really focus on it, it was you could see them very clearly. Yeah, that's but, very similar to lights that uh, we have an area here that uh, mm-hmm. that we call sight seven because uh, we number ours and not letter them. And yeah. uh, you have to let your eyes adjust. You're not going to see them when you first get there. Yeah. And then uh, your eyes will adjust, and then you'll see them, and uh, they're very weird. Very, very yeah. Strange. Tim, can I ask a question? Yeah. Real quick. Um, the phenomenon of it not wanting to be recorded, is this something that you've run into a lot? You, you and don't you kind of have, I'm, well, primarily you, but okay. Seth can, I mean, definitely chime in on that. I mean, he's definitely had that experience. I mean, but in the literature, I mean, have you run into this a lot? Uh, not audio recordings. My friend Tobe from Strangebrow puts it best. I think it's like we have permission somehow to record audio. Video is a different matter. But, you know, audio, go back to, you know, the stuff that uh, Al Berry and, and Ron Moorhead were recording in, what, 73. You know, they got the fantastic recordings of, of something, presumably Bigfoot. They think it's Bigfoot speaking way back then. And speaking some kind of language and on up to, you know, I give my example of pandemonium where, uh, I was woken up by, by wood knocks. I had, I didn't leave my recorder running, but I was the first thing I did when I woke up was hit record and you can hear it's recording in stereo. You can hear the wood knocks in two different directions. You can see them. You can actually see the audio file in the channel. You can hear it. Bam, bam. And an, an answer in the, in the other channel. So they're coming mm-hmm. from two different directions. They sound different. And again, I don't know what it was. I didn't see a Bigfoot knock a tree, but something with hands had to hit something up against something else. And uh, then I, you know, we proceeded to record, you know, the rest of the night screams and all kinds of weird, you know, 
the the 400 pound owl sounds and so forth um hmm. so in a very aptly named place for that right yeah. oh yeah yeah absolutely so it's like we're allowed to record audio and but the video i always tell people like people who are haunted by the phenomenon if you want it to stop put trail cams out around your property but it'll stop like it doesn't want to be recorded it's like we don't yeah, have permission yeah. for video for whatever reason hmm. as as tobe puts it I, I like the way he puts it so I've, I've stolen that from tobe thanks tobe but i'm a woo guy i'm into the weird stuff so. no i i i agree like that that uh that camera thing is really weird. Like they've done, they've done game cameras and all kinds of stuff in Area X, and they never get anything. And they got to the point they they bought all these, they wired everything up with like these cameras around the, the um the exterior of the cabin they had in there, and they said you could if it got to the point some weeks where like they were throwing rocks so much at the cabin that that they uh, they weren't getting any sleep. So to to stop it from happening, they would turn the cameras on. Mm. So like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, there's, yeah, very, very strange. So, what's this event you have coming up where you're going to be showing uh, Minerva Monster and so forth? Oh yeah, we're doing. Uh, it's called Mysteries and Monsters at the Canton Palace Theater, which is Canton Palace Theater is like this local. It's it's one of the only remaining original movie palaces. There were forty. I'm gonna say there was like forty-seven of them. And this is like the only one that that is left that was designed by by this particular architect. So it's gorgeous. It's like it's it's my favorite place to show a movie too. Um, it's really ornate with like all this crazy, creepy looking statues and, and busts and stuff all around the place. It's also supposed supposedly like very haunted. Um, but uh, we're gonna do an all day event and show. Uh, yeah, we're gonna show Minerva Monster. We're gonna show the Flatwoods Monster, and then we're gonna do the world premiere of On the Trail of UFOs in the evening. And there's also going to be a talk by Shannon Legro and a talk by Lyle Blackburn, and uh, the whole STM crew will be there as well, doing Q and As and stuff throughout the day. So nice. Where's that? Uh, the Canton Palace Theater in Canton, Ohio, it takes place on March twenty. First, so it's the day after the actual release date of uh, on the trail of UFOs. Awesome, very good. And uh, before you go, I have to ha- ask a question about adventure hats because mm-hmm. uh, you brought up Lyle, and I saw Shannon has an adventure hat in the the series, uh, which is very prominently featured in episode one. She's she, she focuses in on her. She wears it all the the entire time. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a gimmick. I thought she was going to stop, and then it just kept coming back. And then I had to start like shooting it like specific shots of it because otherwise it would have been weird. I thought so. I'm very yeah. fascinated by adventure hats with cryptozoologists. I know Lyle has his curly cowboy hat. I got to be honest with you. It is the most annoying aspect of cryptozoology. Um, like you've got, you've got, it gets, it gets really bad because you got Ron Murphy's got one. Mm-hmm. You had uh, Colin Schneider was wandering around in one for a while. Yes. Um, they're, they're, uh, yeah, it's, it's by far the, probably the most annoying, like, personal branding thing I've seen in, in the field. Uh, right, yeah. I get a kick out of it. I was going to ask you if you had your, your own adventure hat, but I guess the answer is no. I mean, I wear, I wear a really faded baseball cap. It's like a small, small town monster. I don't think that counts, though. I don't it's think just, it does either. I think, I think it has to be some sort of a brimmed. Hat. Yeah, like a gimmick hat. I need to, yeah, again, I need to get like the odd job bowler, <laughs> and I'll I'll start wearing that. 
So Colin was given a, a speech up at, uh, we were both at the uh, X-Filers United convention last year. Mm-hmm. And it was Is that the cryptid, crypto kid? Yeah, yeah. Is that him? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was kind of winding down, and everybody had asked all their serious questions, and it was kind of the thing where it's like, anybody else have any more questions? And so I raised my hand, and I said, do you have to have, like, a special hat to be a cryptozoologist? <laughs> mm-hmm. like, a, like a cowboy hat or something. And I hear somebody, like, somewhere else off in the crowd, you just hear this, hey, Lyle Blackburn's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I, I didn't mention Lyle. I just said, do you have to have a special hat to, to be a cryptozoologist? Where's yeah. your hat, Tim? Where's your hat? I, if you I get a hat. I'm, if I have one, it's going to be a wizard hat. Now I'm going to wizard. If... The, the problem is, like, Ken, Ken Gerhard and Lyle's hat, they're, it's like the same hat. Yes. So I just want to be like, guys, we can't tell you apart as right. is. The hat is, only, the hat is only making it more ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I'm very happy we had the Adventure Hat discussion. Cause, uh... You know, it's funny. That's the synchronicity right there, though, that you would call it Adventure Hat. Because my kid, Tommy, he he has this Walt Disney World hat that looks kind of like a Gilligan, you know, like the Gilligan hat. I don't know what you call that kind of hat. He calls it his Adventure Hat. He was running <laughs> he was running around all weekend in that thing and just kept asking where his Adventure Hat was. Nice. So. nice. That's, my, that's my synchronicity. The term Adventure Hat was actually coined by uh... – by James, my my sometimes co-host, he hasn't been on in a long time, and it was actually about Colin. He was so we, were, we were at a convention somewhere, and he said, "Oh, look at Colin in his adventure hat." So I was like, yes, it's perfect. Yeah, very good. Well, Seth, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, uh, Adam, surf, hang out, and we'll talk a little bit about strange realities. Strange realities. But, yeah, but we'll, we'll, let we'll talk go. about that. Seth, thanks for coming on. Yep, I'll talk. To yeah, you thank guys you later. for coming on. It's pretty normal too, Seth. For sure. <laughs> See you guys take care. <laughs> Bye. You're wearing sloom socks, Allison. I can tell. Why? Because I have socks on? <laughs> I can tell those are sloom socks. <laughs> they are sloom socks. Have you worn anything but sloom socks since we got sloom socks? I have not, actually. They're super comfortable, right? They're super comfortable and... Okay, I'm, my mind has been changed about wool. About wool? It's been totally changed about wool. Wool rocks. It doesn't smell. Like, it, it's miraculous. It's, <laughs> it's super comfy. It's warm. It's like, they actually stay up. It's it's perfect. Yes. I really like them. Sloom.com manufactures merino base layers. The Raven base layers are awesome. They're warm. They're soft. They have socks and sweaters and a large assortment of wellness products. Lots of cute baby things, too. My favorite beanie hat I've ever had. And you are kind of a beanie connoisseur, especially in wintertime. I love it. Because you always have wet hair because it never dries. (laughs) Big enough to fit over my wizard hair. So that's very important. Comfortable. (laughs) A very small demographic, but one that needs to be served more. Nothing's worked as well as their beanie for me. S-L-O-O-M-B dot com is where you can find Sloom. If you enter the code STRANGEFAMILIARS, all one word... You can get 10% off any order. Check them out, sloom.com. So before we talk to Adam and Surf about the Strange Realities Conference, I just want to mention 
Small Town Monsters, you can find them at smalltownmonsters.com. Forgot to ask Seth to drop his website when I was talking to him on the interview. So, smalltownmonsters.com. Thanks to Seth for coming on the show. Now let's talk to Adam and Surf about the Strange Realities Conference. Strange Realities is a convention in Nashville, Tennessee, of which I have been uh, before, once. Yes, you have. It you has were, only happened once so far. Yeah, you weren't just there. You were you were a part of it. Yes. You, uh, a- you actually, spoke some people have asked twice. me like how it was, and I said it was one of the best put together conferences I've ever been to. In fact, amazingly well. So for like a first time conference where you expect there to be problems, you guys did a great job, and I was like, of course, super Thank happy you. to be a part of it because I like y'all. You're good friends. And I was happy to be a part of it, but uh, the, the fact that... And we were happy to have you here in Nashville, too, man. Absolutely. The fact that it went off without a hitch and uh, just ended up being one of my favorite conferences I've done it was uh, was a, just an absolute bonus. So I'm super happy you're, you con- you're continuing it. And it's yes. more than one day this year, right? Yeah, it's going to be more than one day. We're doing it on September 25th and the 26th now. The 25th is going to be, we're going to have like um, a dinner type of thing. We don't go do some catering or something. And we're going to have it there where we did it before at SIR Nashville. Right. And uh, we're kind of just getting this all together right now. Yeah. What Who's going to speak and whatever. But we think we're going to do at least two presentations that evening. And then just have everybody can kind of mill around, talk to the people that are going to be there, like such as yourself, the speakers. Mm-hmm. And then the 26th be the main event. Mm-hmm. Just like we did all day. Yeah, all day thing, just like we did last year. Nice. Very cool. So do you have everybody booked so far or just some people? I have quite a few people booked. Yeah, we can. Um, do we go down the list? Yeah. Um, Let's, let's get people so it. it's, it's, a, it's a long way out, so I'm sure you'll be back on to talk about it between now and then. Oh, but we can, oh yeah, we can yeah. Go yeah, absolutely. Um, so returning from last year, we have some guy named Timothy Renner. You may have heard of him. I'm He's not too. Uh, yeah, he is expensive. You know, <laughs> he 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 really um, the demands. Rider is going to kill us too. I know. I mean, the, the green M and M's. You know, you got to just. And the adventure hats that you got to supply this guy. I mean, you know, he doesn't want anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, someone that does wear an adventure hat, we do have uh, Tim Banal <laughs> returning to the uh, Strange Reality stage. Nice. And also returning from last year, we'll have Guy Malone as well. Um, Josh, we would love to have him, but unfortunately, he's got a prior commitment. But got uh, two more business, I think. But we will, but we will try to get him back for 2021. So that's who we have returning: yourself, Banal, and Guy Malone. Uh, I can do Josh's presentation for him. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and we got uh, Brent Rains is going to be there. Uh, he wrote a book about John Kill. Yeah, no, um, he was there he, last year. He just wasn't a speaker. Right. Yeah, he can. Uh, <clears throat> he got in touch with me about a month before and we'd already had everything set, but I told him you can come and sell books. And he actually was there at the Q and a session at the end of the night Right. Yeah. for the people that was there. Uh, Brent's been in the UFO field, man, for years and years and years since he was like a teenager. Mm-hmm. And had and a long correspondence with John Keel. Yeah. John Keel. He, he talked to him. Um, uh, Aaron Gullius 
is going to also be there from most of the saucer life. Mm-hmm. One of our favorite podcasts. Yeah, it's a really good, really good friend of ours. Um, re- really funny guy. Uh, talk about uh, talk about anything from like conspiracy theory to like uh, UFOs, all the weird contactees and all that kind of stuff. Um, we've got Angelia Shear, who is the uh, director of MUFON here for Tennessee. She's going to be speaking, and uh, she's got a book coming out fairly soon about some cases that she's investigated. That's like a high strangeness cases around yeah, this got, area. She's got a real cool angle on a lot of the stuff with a lot of the high strangeness. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Jerry Ablan, who is the uh, host of the Knox Mente podcast, oh, nice. and you can hear him sometime on Cruising Mistake. Mm-hmm. He's going to be speaking as well. He was actually an attendee. He was the first person that ever bought a ticket. And uh, this year we're putting him, uh, I told him I'm putting you up there on the stage, Jerry. So uh, we've also got um, Dr. Michael Bennett, our good friend, Dr. Future, finally convinced him to to speak at the conference as well, And uh, which his book is going to be out pretty soon. And uh, finally, last but not least, uh, Alan Greenfield. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, famous he- for the secret cipher of the Euphonauts. And also, Super you know, Men in Black. Uh huh. And as a, and appeared just recently in in the Hellier documentary. Yeah. And there's probably going to be a couple other people. And I'm trying to get uh, Mr. Soraya down here to Nashville, convincing him to get down here and be a part of this too. Yeah, I'm hoping he comes along. So. Yes. And as yes, it we, stands, we, for, for for strange familiar listeners, I think Chad said he's going to accompany me. So you, you, if you're uh, into meeting us both, uh, we will be down there together. And I'm sure while Chad and I are down there, we're going to probably end up hitting the, the Great Smokies somewhere. Oh, yeah. You got to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to be passing right through there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you, you get uh, two for the price of one, Strange Familiars host. If if Chad comes along, I'm sure he will. He says he's coming along. So I'm, I'm sure he will. So uh, we'll get to hang out with both of us. And, uh, and I have no clue what I'm going to talk about when I'm down there. Um, I, well, you got time to figure it out. Yeah, I got got a, got a little bit of time. So, you think you'll add more speakers in the meantime, or, or is it pretty much packed at up? least two to three yeah. more? I'm thinking we got a couple real cool ones that we're working on, but we just gotta iron out everything. Yeah, we don't want to count the chickens before they hatch, but we'll uh, we should at least have a, a, a two two to three more people nice. that we're gonna have. Well, that's awesome. Strange realities in September this year. I was worried it would conflict with. Alba Twitch, because I, I know last year you specifically chose the, the weekend after, so it wouldn't interfere. And then, due to just scheduling stuff, we had to move Alba Twitch to the weekend after this year. I was like, oh man, I hope they don't have to, you know, it doesn't conflict, but you'd already decided to move it. Yeah. We deliberately decided to move it to September. Last year we did it on October 19th, and this year we've decided to go for the last weekend of September mm-hmm. because here in Nashville, a lot is going on in October. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff that we would be competing with. So that's why we decided that we would move it nice. to, to like a kind of an earlier time. Very good. Well, I'm, like I said, I'm sure we'll talk about it before it happens again. But, yeah, and tickets should be going up pretty soon. Really? And uh, the, we're looking at the cost of about probably around about $60 to get into this whole thing for both nights. Mm-hmm. Are you going to have like hotels you recommend if people want to come in and stay? 
Yeah, we'll be yeah, working that, on that. That's going to be a whole lot more organized. Everything's going to be a whole lot more organized. So, if last year was was pretty smooth, this one's going to be even more so and uh, even more fun. Hopefully, awesome, super psyched, excited about uh, coming down. Man, hopefully Sarai will come too because that would be really really cool. Absolutely. All right, guys, and where can we find you? Uh, you can find us at. Uh, conspiranormal.com you can find the, the archives at conspiranormal.podomatic.com and information uh, we're reassembling right now the Strange Realities Conference website but you can find that at strangerealitiesconference.com nice alright and we'll talk to you again soon thank you sir see you guys see you So I know you like to keep the photo of the week on theme, if possible. Yeah, and I've, I'm fresh out of UFO photos. So. <laughs> it would be cool. Somewhere, some somehow, I think that there's a photo of one of those airships from the 1800s. How could there be one? Because it was like 1890s. There are a lot of hot air balloon photos. So, I mean... Didn't one of the articles when we did the airship show, didn't it talk about a photographer? It did, yeah. It was something yeah. about that. Well, there's always something to find. Yeah. So, you know, maybe. I did find um, one of my Holy Grail photos at the photo show this weekend where we were talking about Millie Lamar from the episode on um, on albinism within the circus sideshow community. I did find my favorite photo of her, finally. So Yeah, that was your, like, Holy Grail photo. <laughs> yeah. So, sort of relating to UFOs, though, the stereo view photo we have for this week's photo of the week is of Al's. This is really cool, and I'm thinking now that maybe we shouldn't sell it. <laughs> no, it's good. It is titled Wise Ones in Council. It has a gathering of owls. A parliament of owls. A parliament a of owls. A P-funk of owls. <laughs> there is a P-funk of owls. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, I love that. It's a really, really cool photo, and of course, owls are related to UFOs. Um, Mike Clellan wrote a whole book about it called The Messengers, but uh, other people have made the connection as well. I mean, is that because the, of the just the look of these owls with the big eyes and the sort of rounded faces? They have a very alien-like quality I mean, pe- to them? People have suggested that, but of course, owls turn up around Bigfoot sightings, too. There's something... Well, they're out in the woods. True. True. There's something weird and strange about owls. It's as if they know to show up when weird stuff happens. I also like the kind of the, the symbolism, besides the fact that they're sort of watchers, they're wise watchers. They're also things that are able to turn their head around. Like they get to see a view that other people don't see. Yes, I think that's part of it. The big sort of ever watching eyes and being a night bird, I think, is part of it, and not making a sound when they fly. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between UFOs and owls. Well, these are, are different owls. I presume taxidermy, because it's hard to get owls to sit in place together for a group sitting. Especially in 1889. Which is when the card is from. Yes, there would have been a quick shutter speed on that antique camera to get all those owls like that. Now, presumably taxidermy, but it's a really neat group of owls. You can go ahead and check it out in the show notes at strangefamiliars.com. If you click on the picture, it should take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase it. Get a cool photo, help support the show. The Wise Ones in Council is the photo of the week. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back soon with another episode of Strange Familiars.
Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, podcasts, and more, darkhollerarts.com. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can also join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.